You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. In the weeks uh, leading up to Easter, we are looking at these seven statements that Jesus makes about himself in the Gospel of John. And each of these statements begins with this phrase, I am. I am something. And I think it's an echo to Exodus, uh, you know, when Moses asked God, what is your name? He says, I am. It's a pretty cool name. And so each of these statements that Jesus gives are loaded with meaning about who he is and what he came to do. Uh, This is our second week in John 10, and we get two statements, two I am statements in this one chapter. And last week we looked at the first part of John 10 where Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. He gave an image of a sheep pen, which is just like a walled enclosure with this one door, and the door represents the legitimate way in and out. The rightful leaders of the sheep, the shepherds of the sheep would come in to gather their sheep and they would lead them out. And so when Jesus says, I'm the door of the sheep, he's saying, I'm the rightful leader of God's people. Everyone who follows me will will be safe under my protection and will be satisfied with my provision. He's the door. He's legitimate. Then in verse 11, so that's verses 1 through 10. Verse 11, right after that, he says, I am the good shepherd. It's part of the same metaphor, but he's adding layers of meaning. Most of the I am statements are about who he is and what he does. And I think this statement includes certainly who he is and what he does, but it adds something to it. When he says, I am the good shepherd, he's also saying something about how he feels. He loves us. The sheep, the shepherd loves the sheep. It's one thing to say that he's God's appointed leader. It's another thing altogether to say that he loves us. Imagine we got the perfect president. I mean, just perfect in every way. And he fixes all the problems or she fixes all the problems. That's probably more likely. Um, and we'd be happy about that. We, we would love that. But none of us would assume that that means that the president knows who we are, much less loves us. This passage reveals the deep love that the shepherd has for the sheep. It's a simple truth that that a lot of us learn as kids. We sing that song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. Case closed. But as adults, I think we start to find it more difficult to accept that simple truth personally for ourselves. I think we grow up and we discover how big the world is and we feel the smallness of our own lives and we just think like, how how could God even be mindful of me? Why would he take the time? We encounter our own weaknesses and limitations and we think, I don't don't have anything to offer me. How could God use someone like me? we see the the depths of our sin. And we think, man, if anybody knew the real me, they they would see how unlovable I am. And so we just, we just project all these things onto God. 
I say that. Not everybody does that, I guess. Some of you are like really confident and happy and you feel pretty darn lovable, don't you? I'm sure there's good things about that. Um, But in this case, that's actually a worse place to be. Jesus says over and over things like, I came to heal the sick. If you don't think you're sick, you won't see your need for me. But there's hope here in John 10 for all of us, wherever you are on that spectrum. And the hope is this. The good shepherd loves his sheep so much that he lays down his life for them. That's the emphasis in this passage. If you have a Bible, open up to John 10. Uh, The black pew, pew Bible's in front of you. If you open up to page 90 on the New Testament, that'll take you right to John 10. I want you to see... Uh, this text as we go through it. But this is the emphasis that he lays down his life. In verse 11, he says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In verse 15, he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jump down in verse 17, he says, I lay down my life so that I can take it up again. So clearly this is what he's trying to say in this little speech, that he lays down his life. And since we have such a hard time accepting that, receiving that, applying that to our own lives, he gives us two reasons for his love. Uh, The first one is in that little parable that we're going to look at in just a second, right at the beginning, verses 11 through 14 or so. The first reason he lays down his life for the sheep is because he owns them. They belong to him. The second reason he lays down his life for the sheep is because he knows them. He owns them. And he knows them. As I have just been meditating on these two simple truths this week, um, I have found this weird peace just thinking about this shepherd that we have. And I, I hope you find that today as well. This is the heart of his love. He lays down his life for you. Let's look at verse 11. He owns the sheep. Gives us a little parable. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. So the contrast here is between the good shepherd. And the hired hand. Now, the hired hand is not a thief. He's not, you know, like the guys we looked at last week. He's supposed to be there. He he doesn't intend to harm the sheep. But to him, this is just a job. You know, like, like if there's danger, and it comes down to a choice between, like, him or the sheep, it's like, well, lamb chops for everyone. I mean, that's an easy decision, right? Because it's just a job. Like there's no, there's no job worth dying for. He can get another job. The good shepherd, though, doesn't flee. That's the point of the parable. The hired hand cares nothing for the sheep because they're not his. The good shepherd cares deeply for the sheep because they're his. And therefore, he'll do whatever it takes to protect them. Now, if you want to feel like the force of this seemingly 
harmless little parable, then all you have to do is understand the setting in which Jesus gives it. Uh, John tells us down in verse 22 that this is all taking place at the festival of dedication, which uh, we know as Hanukkah. Last December, uh, a friend of mine invited me to his Hanukkah party, and I had never been to a Hanukkah party, so I thought, that sounds great. And when I got there, I thought I'd just kind of be a fly on the wall and check things out. He's like, no, come on in. So he makes me come into the kitchen and put on an apron and make latkes. And uh, everything about this scene, I'm out of my element in. I, uh, I'd never been to a Hanukkah party. I don't think I'd ever worn an apron. And I don't cook. I mean, I'm just not good at it. I'm feeling very, very uncertain. I imagine it's how, like, if you haven't been to church before, if you're new to church, it's probably how you feel. It's like, people are saying, thanks be to God. I'm not sure if I'm supposed to say that. Some people aren't saying that. And then communion, forget it. That's a whole other thing. It's confusing if you don't, if you're not, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. I did not know what I was doing. And so here I am standing over this stove making latkes, and he begins to tell me the story of the Maccabees and their revolt. And this all happened about 150 years before the time of Jesus Um, Like many other nations, Israel had been conquered by Alexander the Great, and his vision was for Greek culture to take over the world. And the Jewish leaders had become seduced by this vision. It led to the eventual demise of Jewish life and worship, to the point where they even desecrated the temple. And in the 160s BC, um, there was a revolt led by Judas Maccabee. And he used these really cool guerrilla tactics, and they were very effective, and they were able to secure independence uh, for the Jews. They rededicated the temple, and as the story goes, my friend says, they were going to light the menorah, the, the candle in the temple, and there was only just a little bit of oil. Not enough to make it last, but it lasted for eight days. He says, that's the miracle, and we fry foods in oil to remember the miracle of the menorah. And I'm looking down at this pan just like full of Crisco cooking oil. And I'm kind of a smart aleck, so I was like, hey man, um, this is more than a little bit of oil. He said, yes, I know, but they're going to be delicious. After the revolt, there, there were corrupt leaders uh, who, who were basically, you know, Greeks in Jewish robes. And it led to, eventually, Rome came into power, and Israel was once again conquered and and found themselves under oppression, this time under the Roman Empire. And so, the Feast of Dedication was a time when Israel would remember all of the the failed leadership in their past. And they would remember maybe some good leaders, but all of it was a rekindling of their hope for the leader that God had promised, the Messiah, During this festival, they would um, read from passages like Ezekiel Ezekiel 34. I'm just going to read a little excerpt of this so you can kind of get the feel of it. And remember, Jesus would be standing there as they're reading this. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. 
and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered off all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search for them or to seek for them. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and I will hold them accountable for my flock. It's not good news. But then he gives them this promise. I myself will be the shepherd of the sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. And so this little parable that Jesus brings forth in this setting is not just for fun. He's not just telling stories. This is an indictment against the current leaders. They're the bad leaders of Ezekiel 34. They're the bad shepherds. And more than that, it's a claim that he is the good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. He's not, he's not setting himself forth as a candidate. He's not asking for your vote. He's saying, these are my sheep. They belong to me. I'm the good shepherd. It's so divisive. So in your face. And you see that. They want to throw stones at him because of it. The hired hand runs because he's got, he's got no vested interest in the sheep. But that's precisely why the good shepherd doesn't run. Because the sheep are his treasure. Uh, there's a lot to make fun of about sheep. And we're going to do that here in a little bit. But um, they're actually really valuable. They're the most valuable livestock. Every, every part of them is worth something. You know, the fur, the skin, the meat. Pound for pound, they're probably the most valuable livestock that that one could have. So they're worth something. For the shepherd, it's everything he's got. It's his treasure. Like the shepherd didn't have his money in a bank. There's no 401k. If you ask a shepherd, how much money do you have? He just points to the sheep. That's how much money he has. They're his treasure. That's why he would give up his life for them. This, um, this speaks to those thoughts that we have in our head because Jesus is saying, you're my treasure. But we have these thoughts about how we're not valuable, we're not worth anything, we don't bring anything to the table, but we're missing the point when we think that. We're not his treasure because we have something to offer. We're his treasure because he owns us. In other words, Um, we're not valuable because we have something to offer. We have something to offer because, we're valuable because he's made us his treasure. I'm I'm just destroying this point right now. (laughs) I got my words mixed up. Let Let me let the Bible speak for it. That might help. Look what he says in Deuteronomy 7. Here's how you can be his treasure. Deuteronomy 7, the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Why? It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. God loves you because he loves you. He loves you because he's faithful to his promises. He loves you because you're his. 
There's such security in this. It means that God's love for me does not rise and fall on my performance. His love for me stays steady because his love is steadfast. It's based on his grace. Jesus draws this out a little bit later in verse 27 if you look down on it. He says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me, he owns them. He's greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Do you see what security we have in belonging to him? He loves us. That can't change. Jesus takes the image a little bit further. He loves, he, he owns us, but he also knows us. Look at verse 14. He says, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So this is more intimate than, than owning us. He knows us. He owns the whole flock, but he knows every sheep. He calls them by name. Uh, last week we talked about how the, the sheep are so attuned to the shepherd's call that they can, they can hear it, they can pick it out among all kinds of other noises going on, and they know his call. Uh, what Jesus is saying is this works the other way too. The shepherd is intimately acquainted with the sheep. He knows the uniqueness of each sheep. I read a story this week of a a lady who had lost one of her sheep and weeks go by and she would always kind of go out front looking for it and one day this guy was leading his flock in front of her house and immediately she spots in this huge flock she spots her lost sheep and calls out to it and it comes over to her. Isn't that crazy? How she could just see that? Another guy sold four of his sheep and a couple weeks later he was on a train with a friend and they're on a train and they go by this hillside. I mean, just imagine how fast that happens. Out in the distance there's a flock and he turns to a friend and says, hey, there's my four lambs. How do you know that? Because they're intimately acquainted. I read a story of a guy who um, was visiting a shepherd and he, he was blown away. He said, this shepherd in the dark with his eyes closed you could, you could just start sending the sheep to him. He could feel each sheep and, and say its name by how they, just how they felt. The sheep, I mean, the shepherd are so intimately acquainted with their sheep. And this is what Jesus is saying is he knows you. Every detail about you. And for some of you, that sounds awesome. And for some of you, that sounds really scary. But you can rest in his love. In verse 15, he compares our union with him to his union with the Father. I don't even know what to say about that. I mean, just mystery and wonder for miles. Dive into that with everything you've got. You will not get to the bottom of his love for you. Now, here's a question. Why do the shepherds need such comprehensive knowledge of the sheep? Why do they need that? And the answer is, it's not a compliment. It's because sheep are notoriously helpless. Um, 
Sheep are very socially intelligent. They often get a bad rap that they're just totally dumb. They're, they're really smart socially, but that doesn't, that doesn't come in too handy when there's a wolf because wolves aren't trying to make friends. They're trying to make food. And so uh, they're smart in one way, but in another way, they're, they're pretty defenseless. You know, in the animal kingdom, there's a lot of really good tools for defense. Speed, that's helpful. That comes in handy. Um, claws, teeth, venom, really effective. Good stuff. Shells are good. Camouflage. I mean, there's just a variety of solid defense mechanisms out there. The sheep have none of that. Just got nothing dealt to them in that regard. So let's talk about that for a minute. Because when Jesus says, you're sheep, he's saying something about our helplessness. Let's talk about speed. Sheep are not, they're not crazy slow, not as slow as you would imagine, but they're also not going to outrun their predators. So what is he saying about us? Well, one thing I think he's saying is that you need, to, you need to get this in your head. You're not going to outrun sin in your life. It always catches up to you. You can't trick it. You can't dodge it. You can't fend it off. You can't do any of that. You can only be saved from it. And Jesus knows us. He knows that we cannot save ourselves. And so he lays down his life for the sheep. That word for in, in that sentence is a really specific and powerful word. It means in place of. And so if you've ever heard the term substitutionary atonement, I don't know why you would have, but if you've ever heard that, that's what it is. It means he puts his life in place of ours to atone for our sin. Israel had this, had this day of atonement. At once a year where a sheep or a lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of the people. The lamb would be put in their place because the wages of sin is death. And so the lamb would die in their place. And when Jesus comes on the scene, John the Baptist looks at him and says, Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is what they were looking for. And Jesus says, That's what I've come to do. I lay down my life for the sheep because they can't save themselves. Paul says God demonstrates his love for us and that while we were helpless, Christ died for the ungodly. He loves you. Let's talk about posture. Some animals can posture themselves in a way that, you know, projects confidence and intimidation. Sheep have like the posture of anxiety. Uh, they're very jumpy. They're so jumpy that if, if one of the sheep gets startled and runs off, the other ones will get started and run off after it. And even if that sheep, you know, let's say runs off a cliff, all of the other ones will do the same thing. It's like mob mentality. You know how a kid would say, but Johnny was doing it? And the parents will be like, yeah, but if Johnny was running off a cliff, would you run off a cliff? And the kid has to say no. But a sheep would say, I guess so, yeah. This is a real news story, like from a, a newspaper. <laughs> Listen to this. Hundreds of sheep followed their leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths this week while shepherds looked on in dismay. You think? 
400 sheep fell 15 meters to their deaths in a ravine in Van province near Iran. But, the silver lining, broke the fall of another 1,100 animals who survived. Here's what happened. Shepherds from a nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. Can you, can you picture it? The shepherds are like, we can eat breakfast, right? I mean, they're going to be okay. But when the shepherd's not with them, this is the only defense mechanism the sheep have is to be near the shepherd. And when they don't feel he's there, they get, they get nervous. They get anxious, startled. And so one of them gets startled. And can you just see it? 1,500 sheep each walking off a cliff, one after the other. And <laughs> this isn't funny, but 400 of those poor little guys die. But 1,100 of them do not die because when they go off the cliff, they just land on this pillow top mattress of Mount Cotton. And they're like, oh, boy, that was fun. What's happening? You know, it's absurd, isn't it? But don't, but don't overlook the fact that we're the sheep in the biblical narrative. We're the ones getting startled and just running off the cliff because that's where everybody's going. Jesus knows us. He knows that we're anxious. He knows that we're easily swayed by the crowds. And the good shepherd says, don't be anxious. It's okay if you don't fit in. It's okay if you don't have all the things that everyone has. Don't fret. People without a shepherd, they fret. But you have a good shepherd who loves you and knows what you need. Relax. Why would we not expect God to give us what we need? Why would we not expect an abundance of good things from God? He laid down his life for us. This is Paul's logic in, in Romans 8. If God not sparing his own son, but giving him up for us all. If he did that, how would he not also graciously give us all things? What are we anxious about? Let's talk about direction. Sheep have a a terrible sense of direction. Uh, They're prone to wander off, and the problem is, is they don't know how to get back home. Like, you could drop a squirrel off 10 miles from your house, Todd says, and that squirrel will find his way back to your house. <laughs> but and a she, the sheep aren't like that. Most animals can find their way back. Sheep can't. They're just, they have no idea where they are. A sheep that is lost is utterly lost. That's why the shepherds have to go looking for them. And when you find them, it's difficult to gather them in because they just panic and they run back and forth. And so a lot of times the, she, the shepherd has to tackle the sheep, pin them down and get a hold of them until he can relax and then they can lead them home. Jesus knows us. He knows we're prone to wonder. He knows we can't find our way back to him on our own, and so he comes looking for us. You know what this means? It means that sometimes when he finds you, it might feel like he's tackling you. You'd be like, this hurts. This is confusing. Why is he doing this to me? What's going on in my life? And he's just saying, hey, you got to trust me. 
I'm a good shepherd. This is what good shepherds do. Even if you don't know what's going on, even if you don't see where he's taking you, you don't understand, you don't have all the details, you can relax, you can rest in his love for you. He's a good shepherd. All that to say, sheep, sheep are not survivors. In fact, they don't even need predators to die. They can die all on their own, just out by themselves in a field. Uh, often sheep will become cast. You know what that means? It means they've, they've fallen over and they can't get up. Uh, when a sheep gets too top-heavy, it'll fall over and end up on its back. And it's, just, it's pitiful because their legs are out there, you know, flailing. And they, they can't do anything. They can't roll themselves back over. And it's really dangerous because a, a cast sheep can die in a very short amount of time if somebody doesn't come and roll them back over. It's one of the reasons a shepherd is constantly counting his flock. Like he knows where they are. Did you know that, that generally speaking, we know when you're not here on a Sunday? It's not because we're literally counting. Well, we do count, but it's just because we know. Like there's often times I'll give somebody a call and be like, hey, I'm sure everything's fine. I just haven't seen you at church and I, I hope you're not, haven't become cast. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Are you Okay. So shepherds are always counting their sheep. They know how many sheep are in the flock. Because, because if one of them is missing, then that's a potential danger. He would have to go find that sheep and roll them back up onto his feet. Psalm 42, David says to himself, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And many people think that when he uses this word, it's, it's, a, it's an allusion to this idea of a cast sheep. He's, his soul is cast down. He's stuck. He's ensnared. He's helpless. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to get out of his situation. And uh, I've just found that a lot, a lot of us find ourselves in that, in that position. We're stuck. Stuck emotionally, relationally, stuck in our careers, stuck in sin. We just don't know how to get out. By, we can't get out by ourselves. We need someone to save us. And Jesus come along to say, that's me. I'm the good shepherd. That's why David says in verse 5 of that psalm, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? And then here's his solution, hope in God. What else would you hope in? Hope in God, for again I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. If you feel stuck today, this is what you do. Put all of your hope in God and wait on him to come save you. Because that's what he'll do. He's a good shepherd. Jesus knows you. He knows your particular sheepness. He knows your worries, your wanderings, your weaknesses, all of it. And he loves you more than you can fathom. It's silly that we try to hold some areas of our life back from him as if he can't see them or as if he wouldn't know what to do with them or as if we're better off running that part of our lives ourselves. It's silly. He laid down his life for you. You can trust him with every area of your life. 
He'll shepherd it for good. Let me close with this. Um, In the analogy, one thing that jumps out at you is, this is great. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But if you're thinking it through, it's like, well, yeah, but then he's dead. And the the sheep don't have a shepherd anymore. What happens when the next time wolf comes? You think you've outsmarted Jesus in your thoughts. Look what he says in verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. The wolf doesn't overtake Jesus. Jesus gives himself to the wolf. That's what he says in verse 18. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. Jesus lays down his life in order to take it up again. Listen, all of the things that we've talked about today are true now for us because Jesus is alive right now. The good shepherd reigns and watches and protects and provides over your life right now. You have all the security in the world you could have because of his love for you. You have all the provision you could ever imagine because of his love for you. He doesn't look at you and all of your brokenness and weaknesses and just pity you. He makes you strong in his grace. Jesus laid down his life and took it up again so that he could lead the sheep forever. And that's where the story goes. At the end of the story, we sit around the throne of the lamb and he says, I am their shepherd forever. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.